This is Abacus. I'm Bob, the CPA. What will the accounting profession look like 10 years from now? My guest today thinks he has a pretty good idea. I basically just say that I'm in the business of predicting the future of the accounting profession. We're building the firm for 2025. So while we're building the firm for 2025, 2025 is going to approach. And by the time we're done building it, we will have the best sort of like most refined business model specifically for that period. And then we're going to be the only ones in the world that are running this sort of this business model for this century. Chris Hooper is an accounting futurist and founder of a Codex, a virtual accounting firm that focuses on helping up and coming technology clients. He'll share his vision for the future and tell you about an often overlooked way for students to actually learn accounting and be ready for graduation. You're going to learn more in the profession than you're going to learn like at school. So you need to get a job and you need to get a job now, not when you graduate. Then in today's coaching note, I'll tell you about my email system that reduces spam and helps you communicate more effectively. All this coming up on Abacus. Let's go. Learn everything you need to know to have a successful and fulfilling accounting career. Whether you're on the partner track or you're making your own path, this is Abacus. Hey guys, Bob here. Just a quick warning that this interview does contain some light cursing. So if you're in the car with kids, you may want to listen to this episode a little bit later. I'll give you a second to turn it off. Okay, now that that's settled, on with the interview. Today, Chris Hooper is the founder of virtual accounting firm Acodex. He blogs at Going Concern, and you can find his TEDx talk on YouTube. But all of this might never have happened if a bank hadn't turned him down for a business loan when he was just 18. Um, Because all of the businesses I had when I was a teenager, like money would go in, um, but it would go out the, you know, just as quick, if not quicker. Um, And I I had no records of it, you know. So when I tried to get a loan, you know, with the bank at, you know, when I was 18, they're like, yeah, that's cool, man. Just send us your uh, last two years worth of income statements and balance sheets and uh, a 12 month budget. And we'll take a look at it and see what we can do. I'm like, yeah, yeah, cool. I'll get that stuff to you. And then I left the bank going, what the fuck is an income statement? (laughs) You know, and then apparently I had to pay tax on all of this stuff as well. Uh, I feel like a kid should be told. Um, So anyway, I I was like hanging out with one of my employees. Um, This was when I was 18 before I even started accounting. And she'd like just put in a resignation. She's like, look, Chris, it's been fun. um, But, you know, I've got to like, I've got to get my shit together. Like, because she spent her. Is gap year a thing in America? Is that like a term? It's becoming a little more popular, but not very popular still. Yeah, cool. It's a pretty standard thing in Australia that you do your gap year, which is basically your last opportunity before you go to college to get your shit together or like figure out what it is you actually want to do because you can still bank your grades from high school and defer for 12 months um, and still get guaranteed acceptance. And I think the universities would rather you do that than sort of go straight out of high school and not be sure what you wanted to do. Anyway, Tammy was all like, oh, you know, like my gap year is over. Um, I am still going to go to college. I'm like, yeah, that's cool. You know, got to do what you got to do. Um, and this had just been like the week after I'd gotten knocked back from the bank. Um, and I'm like, so, you know, what are you going to study? And she's like, oh, I'm going to go study accounting. And I'm just like, accounting. Yeah, tell me about that accounting stuff. 
And she's like, oh, you know, uh, you know, income statements, balance sheets, budgets, all that stuff. I'm like, oh, that's exactly what I don't know. So I just like interrogated the, the hell out of her for like uh, an hour or two at the bar um, and just found out everything about what accounting was because I didn't even know it was a thing. I literally like before that conversation did not know what accounting was. I'd never heard of the word before. I like after interrogating her for a while, I'm just like, cool. This is basically everything that I don't know about business, you know. Um, so I went, you know, straight home um, because I dropped out of high school. So I didn't even have a hope of getting into into college. Um, but then I like I, I went straight home and jumped on Google and I was like, how to get into, you know, how to get into college without year 12, which is like the, the final year in high school here in Australia. Um, anyway, this link comes up and it's like this dodgy university. Um, I feel like the Australian equivalent of the University of Phoenix. Um, and they did like this bridging thing that if you got the right grades, you could actually like double down into uh, like into a proper university in the second year. Um, and took all of the money I had from my business and basically put it all like in that one like course. Uh, and yeah, basically, like literally three weeks after that conversation I had with Tammy, I was actually at college, like, uh, like studying accounting. You don't mess around. <laughs> yeah. Like, I don't know what it was, man, but it was like, I, I think I was in a bad place with the business, like going, like, cause it was going well, like for an 18 year old, you know, I was probably netting about a thousand dollars a week, which is good. Like 52 grand a year, not bad for an 18 year old kid. Right. But like, I had nothing to show for it because I just was not like, I had nothing to show for it and I had no idea where the money went. Yeah. I knew that I was taking home like a thousand dollars a week, but I didn't know where it went thereafter. Um, and I just knew that I sucked at this stuff and that I had to sort of fill in the blanks, I guess. One of the most interesting things that came up during our talk was Chris's advice for college students. Where most people will tell you to study hard and get straight A's, Chris has a better suggestion if your goal is to actually learn accounting and be prepared for your job when you graduate. So yeah, anyway, I went to, to university um, and one of my clients from my old business on my last day before I sold the business, you know, I did my whole goodbye speech and she's like, oh, where are you going? I'm like, I'm going to university. I'm going to study accounting. She pulls her business card out and she's like, well, give me a call after your first week at school. Um, and it says like Carly Barker, you know, uh, a senior accountant at PKF, which I'm not sure is, is PKF in America? Uh, not that I've heard of, but I'm not really up on all the midsize firm names, so it could be. I'm not sure if they are. Anyway, uh, it was it's a, it's a top 100 firm. It's like a top 20 firm. Um, at least it was until BDO swallowed it up. And yeah, like basically after my first week at school, I called her, met up with her for coffee, um, and she just gave me the lay of the land in terms of like how to get good grades and da-da-da-da-da and basically how to make the most of it. Um, and the, one of the things she said is like, you're going to learn more in the profession than you're going to learn like at school. So you need to get a job and you need to get a job now, not when you graduate. Um, and I'm like, okay, well, Carly says I've got to get a job. I'll get a job. And I'm like, well, shit, I could certainly use some income considering I just got rid of the business. Um, so yeah, basically I just went out like hustling and hustled up a job about a month later at this mid-sized firm. Um, and then was there specifically to learn. Like I was not a career accountant by any measure. It was always learn accounting, master it, 
then go back into business with those skills um, and then not have to worry about the bank ever again. So it sounds like it worked out pretty well for you. Is that something you recommend to other university students to go out and get an accounting job while they're in school? Yeah, man, like absolutely. Like all of the kids that work here, like we get them in their first or second year, not like when they graduate. Um, and we assume that they suck. Yeah, I think it's worth because like you're going to suck when you come out of university anyway. So I think it's just easier like um, to get these guys at like 19 or 20 um, when they know that they suck, they actually know that they don't know anything, then wait until they've actually finished a college degree and then they think that they know something, uh, but they still know as much as the 19-year-old did, but then they've got these expectations, you know, that they're just going to rock in the boardroom on their first day at work. Um, at least getting them in at sort of 19, 20, like they know they suck, you know they suck, and at least you're sort of clear on those expectations and we can kind of like... I suppose, like train them the way that we we would want them to be trained, you know. But yeah, definitely recommend it. I suppose the only challenge is that like maybe five percent of firms in Australia actually hire before graduation, um, which is fine for us because it means we get the pick of like the best of the best, basically, um, like before they graduate. Because the recruitment like competition like on graduation is much heavier than it is before they graduate. And I mean, that's half of the reason I teach at the university as well is so I can sort of like cherry pick um, students from, from my classes and stuff like that. So my finance manager actually was a student of mine two or three years ago um, and the best student I had in that class, you know. Um, so, yeah, like that's kind of where we get them. That's a pretty hands-on recruiting process. I like that. As an accountant, I usually dread the question, what do you do? Nobody at a bar has ever been impressed by my knowledge of Gap. And as you'll hear, sometimes the answer actually scares people away. So I was a bit surprised that Chris has a really interesting way to answer this question. That question, like you get that at all the business networking events and stuff like that, right? I say like, I use the term accounting futurist, like, you know, what do you do? I'm an accounting futurist, mainly because that actually prompts the next question, like, What's an accounting futurist? Because if you go, you know, what do you do? Oh, I'm an accountant. It's like instant snore, right? Snoring uh, is uh, actually a pretty good response. I actually had one time at a bus stop, I told a guy I was an auditor. And <laughs> I think he I think he assumed I worked for the IRS and he took off running from me from the bus stop. That's the immediate response when you say you're an auditor, right? Um, and yeah, that's probably the worst reaction. Because um, I do have some friends that are actually tax auditors. Um, and they're not very popular at any parties. I can imagine, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I, I use the line, I'm an accounting futurist, which prompts the question, well, like, what is that? And I basically just say that I'm in the business of predicting the future of the accounting profession. Like, that's it. You know, and that's really all I do here is predict the future of the accounting profession and then build business models and strategies around that. Um, and, like, that's basically the cornerstone of our competitive advantage here. At a codex is that we're building the firm for 2025 you know so while we're building the firm for 2025 2025 is going to approach and by the time we're done building it like we would we will have the best sort of like most refined business model specifically for that period and it would have been done it would have been built uh and then like we're going to be the only ones in the world that are running this sort of this business model for this century um, like 
and that that was it you know a lot of that just involves like researching the current state of the profession the history of the profession etc cetera, etc cetera. Um, and then looking at sort of surrounding like uh, factors and then going okay well what do we know as some given variables in the future of the world generally and then what do we know specifically affecting the accounting profession etc cetera, etc cetera. So dogpiling kind of on that topic, what do you think is one big trend or maybe even if you have one or two that you think are going to have a massive impact on the accounting profession in the next five, 10 years? There's four, um, which I've published about, um, like on going, I write for going concern, um, which is like a, a, a bit of a gossip column, um, for accountants in the U S um, but it's a fun way to blow off steam. <laughs> yeah, man, I love it. Like, and like, I didn't want to write for like accounting today or any of those other more conservative ones. It's like, I want to talk to the angry young accountants and they were all ongoing concern. Um, so there's basically four that I've identified, um, in terms of trends. The first one is about technology. Uh, like you would see that like everything is a hundred percent cloud. Like this entire company runs on, on the web. Like we don't have any, uh, like any server infrastructure or anything like that, everything's web-based. It's uh, and it's it's everywhere. It's sort of ubiquitous. So if I like give you a bit of a, you know, spin the camera around, it's just a whole bunch of monitors and docking stations in our office. Um, like no one has desks. It's just like cool, bam, plug your like because I'm running on a Microsoft Surface at the moment. Um, plug your Surface in, dock it up, then you've got like three screens, you're good to go. Um, and then you just log into Chrome and log into the applications that you need to do to get your job done. Um, and you can do that anywhere in the world. Um, like probably my best one was on a cruise ship during our busiest season. I was just on a cruise ship, da, 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 log in, have a chat to Sammy, see where our lodgement program's going and we're good. Um, so the cloud thing, but it's not just you know, anywhere, anytime, uh, like cloud computing. It's also like about automation and artificial intelligence, which we're only just starting to see sort of glimmers of. Uh, in terms of like automation side of things, I'd probably say we're about 5% of the way where, where, where we will be. Um, and I see where the technology is heading um, in terms of automation in accounting and audit and stuff like that, and taxation, obviously. Um, so automation is a big trend and that's going to continue to unwrap, like unfold over the next 10 years. And then also artificial intelligence as well, um, which we're barely seeing, you know, the, the first signs of in accounting. Um, but it's coming. I'm talking to some uh, pretty smart people working on some pretty crazy shit in accounting. Um, and it's exciting, man. So, like, I think accounting, uh, well, artificial intelligence has got a longer trajectory. I think that's like going to play out over 30, 40 years. Um, but the automation side of things, I think, you know, probably 90% of the accounting value chain will be automated like within the next 10 years because you don't even need artificial intelligence. All you need is like rule-based programming to automate 90% of the accounting value chain. Um, yeah, so that's basically what's happening on the technology front. The other sort of big factor is labor, like changes in the labor force, like dynamic um, and that's sort of multifaceted. The first one is you've got this aging partner sort of uh, demographic. Um, and what's interesting to see is that the average age of partners has actually just continued to ratchet up. So there are fewer people going into partnership, yeah, and then obviously people not leaving partnership. So the average age is just coming upward and there's not enough young people going in at the bottom to keep that sort of average age like locked in. Um, so it's just gradually running away with us. 
Um, so you've got sort of this aging partner demographic. You've also got uh, like Gen Y as a huge X factor in the accounting profession. The reason why the average partner age is going up is because most Gen Ys are actually like rage quitting before they even get on like before they even get to consideration on partnership. They're just going, you know what, fuck this. This is a big Ponzi scheme. I'm not really that interested. I'm going to go start up my own internet company or I'm going to, you know, uh, like move into the corporate sector, whatever. Like anything is better than public practice, right? Um, So, yeah, Gen Y is a huge X factor in the accounting uh, profession because they want completely, like completely different things to what your baby boomers did um, and to a lesser extent what your Gen Xs did. I think your Gen Xs were a little happier to sort of just go through the motions um, and they maybe weren't necessarily happy with the, the status quo, but they didn't really challenge it. And I suppose, I mean, you look at the things that Gen Y want. They want to work whenever, wherever. They want merit-based pay, not like, you know, rank and file pay. You know, they want this whole notion of work-life integration. Um, they, they, they just want a whole bunch of, like, weird stuff. And, like, the accounting, uh, the accounting profession really isn't giving that to them in any way, shape, or form. There's, like, a Gen Y expectations here, and then here's what the profession's actually doing. Most Gen Ys will accept the fact that, yeah, hey, i got to, like, put in some time. i got to put in some hours. i got to do my do my four. Um, so I've got four years at EY. That's sick. Now I can go anywhere I want. I've got my meal ticket. So people will sort of, like, grin and bear it, but they won't actually, like, endure throughout the profession, which is a legitimate concern for the profession because if accounting as an industry can't get a single fucking Gen Y to stay around, that's a big problem, you know? Even if they can't just keep the top talent around, it's going to be an issue, I think, long term. They, I think a lot of the firms are realizing this is a problem and they don't know what to do about it. Um, do you have any recommendations or what are you guys doing to keep your, your best talent around? For starters, we're keeping the average age of the firm like down. Like I'm literally getting booted out of this fucking company when I turn 38, um, which I'm cool with, man, like because I'll be replaced by a 28-year-old CEO and that sort of keeps that age demo down. The average life expectancy of a partner here is about 10 years. So it's like, you know, you you start as a, like you get to partner or you start as a partner if you're coming from like, after five years as sort of EY or something like that, you'll start as a partner, you'll last for 10 years, and then you'll just gracefully exit the profession like in uh, like in your 40s or 50s. Um, so I think our succession timeline is, is much shorter, um, which I think gives a constant refresh rate of uh, like – of the the age demographics in our firm, um, which means that we can continue to attract a younger clientele. Our average age of our clients is pretty much consistent with the average age of the, you know the staff here, and we tend to have sort of twenty and thirty something year old entrepreneurs gravitate toward this firm because we get how you know e commerce works. We get how like. Amazon affiliate businesses work. We get how SaaS companies work. Like, and your average accountant doesn't get it. They think that you know a software as a service company runs the same as a cafe does. You know, uh, and I suppose because we were kind of like born into this internet generation, we get how the businesses of that generation work. 
um, which I think gives us a really good, you know, competitive advantage in the marketplace. And we want to continue to, you know, retain that competitive advantage, like for the long term. And I think age is a key component of that. You mentioned SaaS companies and a lot of online businesses. What is your ideal customer or are there a lot of different types of clients you're pulling in right now? Um, look, our ideal customer is like an internet company. My favorite client would be the high growth internet company. So if you're running like, a, you know, some, you're running a blog with like Amazon affiliate links and then Google AdSense, absolutely. Like we've got a ton of those clients, but they're relatively small clients, right? And they, there's no upward mobility in like fee growth. Those guys basically want their taxes handled and then that's, that's it. Right. Whereas if you're talking like a high growth, like a software, software as a service company or on demand company, mobile app, et cetera, et cetera, that, you know, has the, the ability to raise capital and a lot of it, like those are my personal favorite, like clients, um, because they like, you watch them grow, you know, you watch when they come in, like I've got one here in Adelaide uh, that started as an idea, man. They came to our office when they had an idea. Fortunately, they had enough money to pay us, which was a good start, but they came just with an idea and it's been about 12 months now and they've raised a shitload of capital. They're getting a shitload of traction on their on their product. Um, and you know that it's, it's going to be a $100 million company, you know, at, at worst. Uh, and seeing that it's like, yeah, that's cool, man. Like I get into that. And I suppose from an economic perspective, we go, okay, cool. So on that out, we can expect our fees to look like a hundred thousand dollars, you know, within the next three years on that, that one client. And it's like, cool, that was worth it. You know, it was worth listening to them, you know, when they're 25 and they've got a cool idea and sort of helping point them in the right direction, et cetera, et cetera. Cause you know that it's a good idea. You know that they've got the ability to execute. And if you just sort of, you know, point them in the right direction, they can actually do very well. Um, and it's really rewarding, I suppose, seeing that from our end, you know? Yeah. And I bet a lot of people are like you were in your first business. Uh, they have cash flows coming and going, but they don't really know what's going on with them. So it's nice to bring in somebody who understands that part of the business to kind of help them lay the good foundation for when they do grow and scale that they actually have all their, their shit in order. Right. So, yeah, man, I think spending five years getting like, uh, you know, an accounting degree and then my, my chartered accountants, you know, graduate diploma, like that's a probably fairly dream response for an entrepreneur to be like, I don't know, you know, anything about money. Um, and I feel like, you know, that's not necessarily the smartest course of action for every entrepreneur out there. And I actually really feel like the importance of the accountant in this equation is that sort of almost like, uh, you know, like a mentor type role where it's like, you need to expect that your clients don't know anything about finance and you need to hold their hand all the way through this, you know? And I suppose I just wish I had have met someone like me, you know, 10 years ago so that I didn't actually have to go to university and go through this whole thing. Yeah. I imagine university is a little more expensive than, uh, you're, you're charging them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, cause the reality is like, you don't need to like, as a CEO, you don't need to be across all of this. You don't need to know accounting. Yeah. To actually understand how your business runs. Yeah. You need to be able to, you need to be financially literate. Like that's, that goes without saying, but you don't need to know debits on the left, credits on the right. You don't need to know how to build balance sheets and P&Ls um, because like, that's what your accountant is for. Um, so 
I suppose being able to distinguish between that line um, makes a big difference, you know, and that's where I see the importance of accounting in the, the grand scheme of things is like that, that business partner to the CEO, to, to the entrepreneur, um, like they can really help shape the future of all businesses in that respect. Hey everyone, Bob here again. Just another quick interruption to warn you that there's a little bit of name dropping in this next segment. Here's a quick rundown to get you up to speed. Jeff Maddox is an Acodex partner in California. He runs the Lifestyle Accountant blog, and you can hear an interview I recorded with him later this season on Abacus. Andrew Argue is the founder of TheBeanCounter.com, and Danitha Doe is a marketing consultant who is most well known for her work with financial tech companies. I'll include links to learn more about them in the show notes to this episode. You can find them at abacusshow.com slash four. Okay, now back to the interview with Chris Hooper. So a codex I know started in Australia with you down there, and I've heard yep. recently uh, you guys are coming to the U.S. also. Is that true? Yeah, man. Um, so like it all kind of started with Jeff, um, and I've been doing a bit of work with Andrew Argue. I don't know if you know him. Uh, actually, Jeff CC'd him in the email, didn't he? And also Denitha Doe over in California. But I personally am actually moving over to the United States in October, I think, uh, next year. But I'll be there like twice, you know, in the months preceding. And yeah, we've got a couple of like new partners that we're sort of plugging in uh, in like in different states across America. We actually expect our American growth to actually exceed our Australian growth within about two or three years. Um, so moving to America, especially me as CEO, I needed to be there before the growth actually took place so that we could make sure that that growth actually sort of settled. Um, cause it's most volatile in the first sort of year or two, like, and so far as I'm concerned with our Australian operations, we'll have every single major city in Australia stitched up within the next 12 months. Australia's done, man. We've cooked it. And it's just a holding pattern from here. Like all of the techs in place, all of the people, all of the processes, it's done. So all I need, I can just leave Australia and know that Australia is going to take care of itself. But because America for us is an emerging market um, and it's also an emerging market in terms of technology. Uh, and this is something you'll be interested in is that technology in Australia is probably about five years ahead of where America is at the moment, um, which is awesome for me because I know exactly what the playbook looks like in the United States because it happened in Australia five years ago. Like I know everything that's going to happen in the accounting space in the United States over the next five years because it's already happened here. Thanks again to Chris for joining us today. I'll have links to learn more about everything Chris and his team are up to in the show notes for this episode. You can find them at abacusshow.com slash four. Each episode, I like to share a little tip or tidbit that, while probably not life-changing, will hopefully help you out in some small way. This is Coaching Notes. Most of us see email as a necessary evil. You probably spend 25-50% to 50 of your day buried in it. But email really does add a lot of value and productivity when it's used properly. I mean, it's asynchronous, which means you can send people messages even when they're not available right now. You can communicate with a large group of people simultaneously. And you can share large documents, spreadsheets, or images and charts. The problem is that it's rarely used properly. There's an old saying that your inbox can quickly become someone else's to-do list for you. It's not what's most important for you, but it's what someone else wants you to do for them. 
Email is terrible for urgent messages because messages sent over email get missed unless you're glued to your inbox 24-7. And email is not great for quality communication. A lot of poorly thought out messages get sent that require multiple follow-ups and increase everyone's workload. Then there's the dreaded reply all spiral that quickly degrades into your coworkers using reply all to tell others to stop using reply all. Come on, people. That's like shouting at someone to be quiet. It just makes the problem worse. So since email isn't going away anytime soon, you'll need to figure out how to use it more effectively. Here's the inbox organization system that I use to stay sane and boost my productivity. Rule one is never mix your work and your personal email. We're all swimming in hundreds of emails every day. My personal email address is overloaded with spam, online shopping notifications, forwarded chain letters from my grandma, and even a few messages from friends and family that I want to see. Some of this stuff, like bank statements and bills to pay, are really important. And I absolutely wouldn't want to miss any of those emails. But are they so important that they can't wait until tonight when I get home? Are they important enough that I want them interrupting my work? The quickest way to regain productivity at work is to banish all personal emails from your work inbox. Create a free Gmail account, tell your friends and family to start using it, and change your email on all of your online shopping sites like Amazon.com. Removing the clutter and distraction from your work inbox allows you to give your full attention to business messages while you're at the office. Your personal emails will still be there when you get home tonight. This step has the added benefit of making you less dependent on your current employer. Can you imagine getting laid off and not having a way to communicate with all of your friends and family because they don't know your email address anymore? Creating a personal email address gives you more freedom to choose your own career path in the future. Next is step two. You're going to create a throwaway email account. Now, separating your personal email makes you more productive at work, but you still have to deal with a cluttered mess in your personal inbox at home. I dealt with this by creating a throwaway email account. It's just a free Gmail or Hotmail account that I only use to sign up for unimportant stuff online. You can use your throwaway account every time you enter your email on a sketchy website or sign up for the latest online service. All of that unimportant email will automatically be sent somewhere you never have to worry about. Once you've cleaned up your work and your personal email, now it's time to start unsubscribing with extreme prejudice. Unsubscribing from all marketing email lists used to be a major hassle. Now it takes a single click with any reputable email provider. You see, the Can Spam Act, passed in 2003, requires all marketing emails to include detailed information about who's sending the email and an easy way to stop receiving them. Almost every marketing email sent today has an unsubscribe link at the bottom. Just click the link and you'll automatically be removed from all future messages on that email chain. Now that you've cleaned out your personal inbox, why not replace that spam with something actually helpful? Get a free course that exposes the top accounting resume myths and what you should do instead to create a resume that gets results. You can get it free by visiting the show notes for today's episode at abacusshow.com four. And that's your coaching note. Thanks for listening. If you like this episode, it's fast and easy to click on that five-star rating in iTunes or your podcatcher of choice. And don't forget, you can get links and show notes for everything we covered today or check out all of our past episodes by visiting abacusshow.com. See you next time.